Good morning to you. Wow. I tell you, you know, moms, we're so glad you're here. Dads, too. I mean, you're all right. But, um, no, in all, in all seriousness, with, with all appropriate intention, nothing more beautiful than a godly woman and nothing more highly to be treasured than a godly mother. And so we love you and we value you and we thank you for being with us today. If you need a Bible, we want to uh, get one put in your hands. So if you need one, don't be shy about letting us know. Uh, just raise your hand if you're sure you need one. And that joke never gets old, does it? It's like I, every time, raise your hand if you're sure. Uh, but uh, you got to be a certain age to even get that. All right. Oh, there it is. But we're going to continue on in our study through the Word today in our journey in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So take your Bible or your phone or whatever it is you're following along in, and let's make our way to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to finish the chapter today, verses 12 through 20, in a message that I've entitled, The Limit of Liberty. There's a limit to liberty, you know. We're going to talk about it today, so let's take our hearts before the Lord. Uh, Father, we just thank you once again for uh, gathering us, for assembling us here together today, and it's our honor, it's our joy to be here before you and with one another, and it's our prayer that you would both edify this body and, and glorify yourself. And Lord, we just pray for every heart that you would touch, that you would challenge, that you would change us. God, that if there's any here who don't know you, they come to know you. Those of us who do know you, that we grow to be more like you. That we learn what it means to honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I've discovered, perhaps you have as well, that the flesh is so subtle. It's so crafty in its ability to justify sin. You know, it wants to be satisfied. It wants to be gratified at any expense. And it takes and twists even good news for selfish gain. You know, we start perverting biblical principles in order to satisfy sinful desires. We'll take the words of Jesus, you know, therefore if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Or the Apostle Paul, where the Spirit of the Lord is, man, there is liberty. Words like, I know and am convinced by the Lord Jesus that there is nothing unclean of itself. Or to the pure, all things are pure and will completely void them of their context in order to create some sense of justification, some kind of rationalization uh, as to why it's okay that I can partake in this sinful situation. We want to associate, is it just me or would you agree that too often we want to associate liberty with sin and holiness with legalism? But we need to understand what Paul is explaining in the passage that's presented before us today, that freedom in Christ is not freedom to sin, but it's what? It's freedom from sin. Uh, We've been liberated from the bondage of sin. Why then voluntarily enslave ourselves to sinful appetites? You know, our bodies weren't created to satisfy sin, but for fellowship with and union with Christ, that we might glorify God. And so let's take our attention and turn it here to verse 12 in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where Paul says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. 
All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. You see the balance that Paul is trying to bring into focus for us? He says, all things are lawful for me, meaning, you know, all things are permissible for me, or I have the right to do whatever I want. Now, we talked last week, if you were with us, we talked about the difference between our rights and God's glory, and which one has the priority. Is it our rights or is it God's glory? Which one has the priority? Yeah, God's glory. So he says, all things are permissible. I mean, I have the right, but not everything is beneficial or helpful for my spiritual growth or my relationship with God. And I could be wrong, but in the back of my mind, this was probably something that Paul had taught them when he was with them. You know, Paul had this problem where these genuine legalists would follow behind him and say things like, well, you know, you can't be right with God unless you uh, worship on the Sabbath, or, you know, you have to be circumcised, or you've got to wear this, and you can't touch that, and on and on the lists and rules and regulations and rituals would go, and Paul would say, look, do what you want, you know, I mean, there's tremendous liberty and freedom in, in Christ, I mean, if you want to worship on Saturday, hey, you can. But since Jesus rose on Sunday, we've elected to worship on that day. But in reality, isn't it every day that we're to worship and honor the Lord? And, you know, they're, they're saying you can only eat certain kinds of meats. I'm telling you, you know, eat what you want. It's not about what you do. It's about trusting in what Christ has done. But they had taken this principle of freedom in Christ. The Corinthians had taken this principle of freedom in Christ and liberty where the spirit of the Lord is and allowed it to translate and permeate into ungodly arenas. You see, Paul had taught them, as we know from his writings, that Christ was the end of the law uh, for all who believe. Now, outside of Christ, the whole world, you understand this, right? The whole world will be judged by the standards of the law. The problem, of course, is that the law can't provide righteousness. It can only point out or shine light on our sin. And that was, in fact, the purpose of the law, to show us our sin and our need for a Savior. It takes me and makes me realize how truly desperate that I am. You know, even if somehow I can obey outwardly, that was the whole kind of uh, pride of the Pharisee, wasn't it? That outwardly they could kind of honor and obey. But the problem Jesus pointed out was that I'm constantly breaking it inwardly. In my heart. And that's what God is interested in, my heart. And so I'm brought to a place as I come to know and understand the law where I see that I can't save myself. I need someone to save me. It's the same conclusion that Paul draws for you and me at the end of Romans chapter 7, right? He says, O wretched man that I am, notice, who will deliver me from this body of death? You know, he kept doing what he didn't want to do. Anybody identify with that? And he never did what he knew he needed to. But the next verse, he draws the conclusion when he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, Jesus fulfills the law on our behalf, 
And through faith, he accredits or imputes his righteousness to us. The law no longer has dominion or authority over us. We are now free from the law through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And my entry into heaven isn't predicated upon my performance, but rather his accomplishment on my behalf. So it seems that the Corinthians were taking this principle of freedom and Paul saying, look, do what you want. You're no longer under the law. And they were using it. You know how subtle, how crafty the flesh can be. They were using it to justify sin in their lives. You know, I'm free in Christ. To the pure, all things are pure. And Paul would say, yes, you're, you're free, but not free to sin. You're free from sin. Be careful, listen to me. Be careful turning liberty into license. Are you following me? Using that freedom as a cloak or a covering for vice. What is vice? What is a vice? A vice is something that when it clamps its jaws down on you, there's no escape for you, right? I mean, you think about what vice grips are as a cloak for vice, using it to justify sin uh, that has a grip on your life. Are you following me? To the Galatians, Paul said it like this. He said, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty, only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul would say, look at the situation through this lens. There you are, there's consideration, there's a situation, it's in front of you. Paul would say, look at it through this lens. Is what I'm about to do, to participate in, or, or, or whatever the case may be, is it going to benefit my walk with Jesus? You know, will it be helpful in my relationship with God? Because not everything will build you up. You know, in fact, uh, some things will well pull you down. And we need to understand that it's possible to exercise our freedom in such a way as to place ourselves back into bondage. You know, you may have the freedom to drink alcohol, but starting down that slippery slope could place you into bondage. I mean, are you truly, and this is something that you, you kind of got to work out between you and, and Jesus and be transparent and not hide behind grace and all these things we just talked about, using grace as a cloak, as a covering for vice or for something. So, I mean, are you truly being free or are you in reality serving a lust or a desire of the flesh? Are you serving the flesh or are you walking in freedom? Think about that. You see, if we're not careful, we'll exchange liberty for slavery. Too often when people say, well, you know, I'll do what I want. What they mean is I'll feed that passion or that habit that has me in its grip. Do you remember? Uh, okay, here, time, for, time for a quick quiz. Do you remember the fruit of the Spirit? Galatians chapter 5. Who thinks they can rattle those off? I'd give you like three points if you could rattle them off. I'd give you like five if you can rattle them off in order. <laughs> But you remember, and I've got the cheat sheet in front of me, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, oh, I missed one, faithfulness, gentleness, 
What's that one? What's the last one on the list? What is it? Self-control. And that's the one that gets us, isn't it? We lack self-control, listen, we lack self-control in the name of liberty and freedom. Think about that. And that's why Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are, are helpful. He says, all things are lawful, but I will not be brought under the power of any. In other words, he won't compromise his walk with Christ in the name of freedom. Guys, listen to me. The mathematics of sin are always the same. Sin will add sorrow, subtract joy, multiply problems, and divide your heart. Think about that. Now, the specific sin that he's in reference to here, as we'll see, is sexual sin. And in the Corinthian culture, man, there was a lot of it. It was a lot like the American culture today, really. But in, in Corinth, and I've mentioned this to you a couple, two or three times, you know, with the temple of Aphrodite there on the hill, there was literally at least 1,000, many times more, but 1,000 was the safe conservative bet, temple prostitutes who would descend upon the city every single night seeking to solicit men for sex in the name of worship. It was, it was literally uh, a religion. And so some in the Corinthian congregation, there was kind of this gray, this thing. They were in some regard seeking to justify what they were doing. We'll see that. But rather than maintaining self-control, truth be told, they were mastered by, Paul points out. They were in bondage to their own sexual appetites. Notice verse 13. We read, foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods. But God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up uh, by his power. So here's the short of it, guys. The body is not for sexual gratification, but for God's glory. Now, evidently, there was a proverb of sorts that uh, they were using to help justify their position. Foods for the stomach and stomach, the stomach for foods, which is to say it's a natural function. It's a natural passion. My body has an urge to eat, and so I feed it. I just give my body what it wants. My body wants sex. I just meet up with a prostitute. You see, I, 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 if, it's, if it's craving food, I give it food. If it's craving sex, I give it sex. It's only natural to indulge the appetites of the body. A couple of things to remember with this. The sex drive is a natural thing. Guys, it's a good thing within the context for which God designed it, right? Marriage. The Bible is clear that the marriage bed is undefiled. Uh, sex within the context of marriage and maybe the fathers are glad the mothers are here. I don't know. Um, but it serves to strengthen and fortify and unify a healthy marriage bond. But we need to remember, you guys, here's the thing. We need to remember that a lustful sexual appetite is not what God gave us. 
It's what Adam gave us when he fell, when he sinned. Outside the marriage bed, we find unplanned pregnancies, we find sexually transmitted you know, diseases, all kinds of problems that can be the result of sex outside of marriage, not the least of which is the fact that it's sin before God, okay? Warren Wearsby said this, he said, sex outside of marriage is like a man robbing a bank. He gets something, but it's not his, and he will one day pay for it. Sex within marriage can be like a person putting money into a bank. There's safety, security, and he will collect dividends. You know, I, I've discovered that uh, Satan, you know, he does, the best his, he does the best that he can at trying to get people to have sex before their marriage and then frustrate sex within marriage. The Corinthians were like, you know, well, a, a bodily appetite, uh, you know, is a bodily appetite. Uh, Paul says, no, that's faulty logic. And he tells us why. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. However, he says, the body is not for sexual immorality. It's for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. Now, as for what he's saying is, as for this biological process of eating and digesting and eating again, the, the time is coming where God will do away with all of that. Yes, we know that they're still eating in the kingdom. We know Jesus ate fish with the disciples, but not as a necessity for life. It wasn't a, a biological thing that had to happen or else he would no longer live, you see. And so God will do away with all of that biological aspect of, of, of food for the stomach and the stomach for food and all of that. But as for the body, he says, it will serve an eternal purpose. So the two aren't fair to compare. It's apples and oranges. It's two totally different things. You're comparing something perishable with something eternal. You see what he's saying? And God has two totally different plans with regard to these two things. Just the, the eating and digesting versus you know, the, the, the purpose behind the creation of your body. Yes, your stomach for food and food for your stomach but the body for union with the Lord and the Lord for union with the body. Do you, do you remember uh, John 15? Jesus spoke of abiding in him. And then in chapter 17, when he was praying and he was speaking of the union that he has with the Father, he said, and the glory which you gave me, I have given them that they may be one just as we are one. Notice, I in them, you in me, that they may be made perfect or complete in one and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So as a believer, guys, this is the mind-blowing reality. Jesus literally lives in you by the power of his Spirit. Your body is for union. It is for intimacy with Jesus, not a prostitute. You see where this is going? The purpose your body serves goes beyond the perishable and into the eternal. Our bodies are for the purpose and the pleasure of Jesus, not the purpose and the pleasure of sin. That's why 
Paul wrote in Romans 12, I beseech you or I beg you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, notice that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Or as you've heard me say before, the word service, literally translated, is worship. It's your, it's your reasonable worship to God. Come, let us reason together, says the Lord. Let's think through all that I have done for you, all I have given to you. What's a reasonable way to respond and worship in, in light of these things? You see, there's a relationship that exists between our bodies and Jesus Christ. He has redeemed our bodies, therefore we're to serve him with our bodies. Are you you following? Okay, look at verse 15. He says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not, you know, God forbid. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Guys, let me make this as plain as I possibly can. Christ is in you by the power of his spirit. We're all on the same level with that, right? We understand that. Christ is in you by the power of his spirit. Therefore, when you or I uh, take part in some sort of sinful activity, whatever it may be, it's not like Jesus is, is kind of waiting outside while we do what we do, and then when we're done doing whatever we've done, you know, he reconnects with us. It's not like that. We drag him, in a very real sense, right into the situation that we have chosen to engage in, okay? Paul says, your bodies are members of Christ. So when we sin against the body, we sin against Christ. Now, as it pertains to sexual sin, he points out here that it's actually different than any other sin, well, how so? Well, because there's a oneness physically, there is a dynamic spiritually that takes place. Guys, it's simply something that God has ordained as our creator. It's hard for me to elaborate on it much beyond that. It's just a truth that he has ordained as our creator. So when you're together with your wife, or you know, ladies, with your husband, there is a union that takes place that God has blessed. But anyone other than your spouse, you, well, the phrase is, become one with that person in a way that's actually cursed. It invokes the ramifications of sin. But Paul paints a vivid picture here. Christ is in you, and you are one with Christ. Would you then take the members of Christ and join them, make them members of of a harlot? He says, God forbid. Yet that's exactly, it's this, it's this visceral, it's this, it's this radical, almost revolting image. And that's intentional. Because that's exactly what happens. Now, though it may not be a vocational prostitute, okay, but the principle is in play. 
when two people have sex outside of marriage. Because he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Now look at verse 18. He says, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. You see, there it is. There's no getting around it. There is a oneness physically. There is a dynamic spiritually that takes place with sexual sin that somehow sets it apart from every other sin. Now, that's not to say that... um, One sin is lesser or greater than any other within the context of sin is sin. We understand that. However, the ramifications of sin may vary, correct? What do you mean? Well, you know, um, you go 43 in a 35, you know, I don't know if we have any police officers here, but you may get a fine. You murder someone, you're going to prison. Now, you broke the law in each case, didn't you? I mean, the law was broken. But the ramifications are going to vary radically depending upon the severity. Are you with me? But I want you to underline those first three words of verse 18. He says, flee sexual immorality. Guys, it's so important. He doesn't say, see how strong you can be. He he doesn't say, try to resist as long as you can. He says, run. Get out. Flee. You know, how many people have fallen because they underestimate the power of lustful passion? They try to dance on the edge of unacceptable to their own demise. Now, allow me to remind you that this word for sexual immorality is the word pornea or our word pornography. It goes beyond the obvious, which is just sexual intercourse with someone you're not married to. It includes pornographic you know, videos or images or books or websites. You get the idea. Now I should say, there's something else that we want to, notice he says, flee sexual immorality. He doesn't say, Christian, that you have to flee from sex. Right? I mean, we need to make this, we need to distinguish this here because it's a God given gift. Listen, if you're married, no need to flee. Feel free. Okay? Moms, dads, listen to me. Make sure your children are terrified to come into your bedroom without knocking if the door is closed. I mean, that's the way. Now, listen, your ministry may not be Pentecostal, but your marriage, you better make sure your marriage is. You know what I'm talking about? Lots of tongues and the laying on of hands. You know what I'm talking about. (laughs) I'm glad you guys laughed at that. I was really worried. (laughs) Okay, so let's rein it back in. (laughs) Sexual immorality, though, right? Sexual immorality, that's the word. That's something altogether different. When you're in that situation, he says, flee. As Paul told Timothy, he said, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Now, I might add this. Youthful lusts don't belong only to the young. Okay? But he says flee. And it's hard for us to read this, isn't it, without 
being like uh, having this reminder of Joseph come into our hearts and minds there in Genesis chapter 39 when Potiphar's wife, you know, grabbed his garment and said, lie with me. And he literally fled. He literally just ran out of the house and she was literally left just holding his, his garment. And, and he said, you know, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? You see, he didn't fight it. He fled from it. Now, let me add this as well. If anyone, you know, the, the single people here, the time, or the married people who find themselves in a situation that's unhealthy, right, or even potentially compromising, I, just for everybody, as it pertains to any sin, let me just recategorize that. This is for everybody in any situation generally that may have some form of temptation and sin in any category, okay? This is just a broad stroke, broad brush. The time to purpose in your heart what you're going to do isn't in the middle of that situation, okay? Figure it out right now so that when that situation or should that temptation visit you, you've already got a plan. You've already purposed what you're going to do. Oftentimes, if you wait, it's too late. Figure it out right here, right now. Okay? Now, he says in verse 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. And you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the bottom line. When Jesus redeemed you, he redeemed all of you. Does that make sense to you? Not just your spirit, but he redeemed your body as well. Your body and your spirit. You're not, it's not like, you know, should, uh, you know, the day come and the Lord tarry and we all uh, have to taste death Physically, you're not going to just be a disembodied spirit forever. God will raise your body because he's redeemed your body. And and Paul's going to touch on this topic of resurrection when we get into chapter 15. But your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God. Guys, I want you to, I've said it once already, I just for the sake of redundancy want to repeat it again, I want you to think about how mind-blowing that truth is. You know, that God lives in you. Guys, you know, you've heard, he will never leave nor forsake you, right? That's what the Bible says. Well, it begins to come into focus for us, doesn't it? He, he lives in you. He, he, he will never leave you nor forsake you. He, he literally lives in you. He's always with you. He's in you by his Holy Spirit. And here's the truth, you guys, that we need to sink, let sink in. I really believe this is a big truth that probably globally, but at least nationally, at least our country, I think, you know, with our, we talked about this a little bit last week, how we have this big, 
you know, as Americans, we, we believe we have certain rights, you know, um, and we get a little bit, I don't know what's the word I'm going to snarky as it pertains to, to our rights. Um, but here's the truth we need to let sink in. It's, it's found right here, and I'd encourage you to underline it. It's found in verse 19. It's, it's these words, and you are not your own. You are not your own. You know, and here's why you really just can't do whatever you want to do. Because you, both your body and your spirit, belong to God. You know, he bought you. Think about that. God bought you from the slave market of sin. You're his. Therefore, you and me, we are to use our bodies which belong to him to glorify him. Family, it's true that salvation is free. But it's anything but cheap. It costs God dearly. You were bought at a price. You were redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without spot or blemish. And guys, and, and this is one, I mean, we're almost finished, but this is one more kind of, I think this is a real key to leading a life of victory. Um, to realize that our bodies are not our own. Your body, as a believer, belongs to Jesus Christ. It's not yours to do with as you please. Have you ever, now I'm not talking about rental vehicles because you know you, some people get kind of radical with them, but have you ever borrowed someone else's car? You know, uh, and, 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 you know, when you're, you're borrowing someone else's ride, maybe it's your folks, maybe it's your neighbors, you know, a friend, whatever, uh, and, and you need to borrow their car, and you're making your way around in it, it does, you know, it, 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 and it, it belongs to someone else, right? And so your tendency, at least generally, for most of us, I believe, our tendency is to try and take better care of it than we would even if it was our own. Right? It's not ours, and so, and so we're going to, you know, especially if it's a costly vehicle, you know, we're super mindful of how close we park to others or the way we're, you know, whatever's going on, we're changing lanes, making sure no one's around us because this is an expensive ride, it's not mine, and, and I just want to be very, very careful. I don't have the right to abuse or pollute someone else's property, nor do I want to. Now, follow me here. The vehicle that you are making your way around in every day belongs to God, okay? It was incredibly costly. Jesus paid a great price for it. Take care of it. I think we would do well, I don't want to bind you in some kind of legalism or ritualism, but just think about it. I think we would do well to, to begin each day by seeking to make a conscientious decision, to conscientiously surrender our bodies to Christ. I wonder what kind of a difference it would make in what we do with our body through the course of the day, you know, with our eyes or our ears or our mouths. 
If we just started every day, Lord, my, my body belongs to you. You know, I want to surrender, not just who I am inwardly, but outwardly, even physically. All that I do, you see, it's, it's for you. Have your way in me. Um, you can come on up, we're going to move toward our close. You know, glorify God with your body and with your spirit, which are his. Charles Spurgeon said this, and I, I thought it was really good. He said, your body was a willing horse when it was in the service of the devil. Think about that. Let it not be a sluggish hack now that it draws the chariot of Christ. Think about how willing you were to go out and do whatever it was you wanted to do and be that slave to sin. Oh, you thought it was all you, but you were just, and the truth is, is man, you were in the service of the devil, right? We're either going to serve God or we're going to serve the devil. We don't really get this in-between thing. Jesus said, you're for me or you're against me. We're either going to do it his way or the devil's way. We don't really have this neutral kind of gray area, do we? Not really. Not when you break it down scripturally. And think about the life that you lived and how you just did whatever when you were an unbeliever. Well, now that you're a believer, are you going to allow what you did as an unbeliever to surpass your passion as an unbeliever? Then now that you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ who has loved you and given himself for you and paid such a dear price that he might know you and that you might know him? Don't let what happened in the world kind of I hesitate to use the words, but to outshine your service for Christ. Serve the Lord. Glorify God in your body. You are a new creation in Christ. Lay hold of all of that for which Christ has laid hold of you. I think so many times people don't stop to really think about that. We just, and it's, it's, I'm not, no condemnation, but, you know, we just get to living life day to day, and we don't really think about why, God, what do you want to do? I mean, we're living life, but Lord, why, why did you save me? I know it goes somehow and in some way beyond just the fact that I might go to heaven one day, you see, but what do you want to do with me presently, God? What's your plan? What's your purpose, you see? Are you laying hold of that for which Christ laid hold of your life? Guys, listen. As believers, our mindset should never be on our rights, hear me now, but on our debts. Do you understand what I'm saying? We owe Jesus Christ more than we could ever repay. Therefore, serve him with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your mind, and with all your soul. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and God will be glorified in your life. Amen. Amen. Let's bow our hearts. Father, may we recognize what we might call or consider the limit of liberty. Or maybe more accurately, may we walk in true liberty and repent of rationalization or justification of license. That we embrace freedom from sin and reject the notion of being free to sin. And may we honor you with all that we are. 
God, transform us by the renewing of our minds that you might be glorified both in our body and in our spirit, which are yours. And guys, while we're here with our heads bowed and our eyes closed and we're maybe thinking about, I don't know, something that uh, maybe the Lord just stirring on your heart through the teaching of his word or but you've come here today and maybe you don't belong to the Lord. I want you to know that God loves you and he wants to free you from the power and the penalty of sin. Freedom, true freedom is found in Jesus Christ who has loved you, who has given himself for you upon the cross. And I'm just encouraging you to believe on him, to call upon him, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says that with the heart one believes unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, the mouth makes manifest what's in the heart. Think about that. And so if the Lord's knocking on the door of your heart today and you're ready to open it and let him in and you're ready to surrender to him, to be redeemed by him, to be made a new creation, old things pass away, all things becoming new. Here's what I want to do. I want to pray for you. I'm going to ask you just to show me who you are. All I'm, all I'm going to ask is that you would just raise your hand. And if I see your hand, I'll acknowledge it and you can put your hand back down. But I just want to give you a second to say, you know what? I need Christ to come into my life and to save me. Anybody here, now's your moment. I encourage you not to miss your moment if this is for you. Well, then I'm going to trust that each individual here, you've already made that decision. You've already made that connection with Christ. So I just want to encourage you, salvation is, is yours. But guys, we're to be growing in what the Bible calls sanctification as well. That we no longer spend our time in, oh, you know, the Bible speaks of drinking parties and revelries and, you know, the like. He says, we've, we've spent, and Peter said, we've spent enough time following the lusts of our flesh when we didn't know the Lord. Why would we, you know, now continue to engage in those things that, Really, they bring no glory to the Lord. If anything, they shame our witness before the Lord. And so, maybe the calling is for you. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or reveal yourself because I'm just going to trust that God is dealing with you. But it's up to you to respond. You know, we, we say a lot and... And it's appropriate application when we say, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And we use this in this altar called time, right? Of like telling unbelievers that you can confess and you can be forgiven. And it's all true and it's all accurate. The family, brother, sister, truthfully, the interpretation belongs to you and to me. John is writing to believers if that if you will confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Come out from among them 
And do not touch what is unclean, and I will be your father. You will be my son. You will be my daughter, you see. And so I'm just encouraging you. Honor the Lord with your body. You know, it's been said, and I'm kind of a believer of the same principle. Because someone was like, well, you know, talking about the difference between the body and the spirit, what it means to honor the Lord. I'm I'm just going to tell you, you honor the Lord with your body, and the spirit will take care of itself. You purpose in your heart that you're going to honor God with your life. And God will strengthen you in that position. So God, that's our prayer. Strengthen us in our heart's desire to honor and glorify you. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen? Amen.